during a Christmas Eve uh, communion service, candlelight communion service at the church I served many years ago in Alabama, it was the tradition there to join hands in a circle at the conclusion of the service all around the sanctuary, a giant circle, uh, with the candles still lit. And at that time, anyone who might feel led to say something or share something could do so. Coming in January, early in January, one of the core families in that church was going to be moving across the country to another state. The father spoke up during this time of sharing and said with tears in his eyes, thank you for making it so hard for us to move away. It is a blessing that Joan Chittister commends to us all the one she heard a father said every time he said goodbye to his daughter. The blessing reads, May every place you be make it hard for you to leave. May every person you love make it hard for you to say goodbye. I've mentioned to you before my daughter Chandler's habit when we go on vacation of starting to anticipate the end before it has barely begun. We arrive on a Monday afternoon of the white sands of the Gulf Coast and we've barely put our feet into the salt water and she's saying, I hate that we have to leave on Sunday. I don't want this to end. I used to try and argue with her and say, you know, Sunday is a long way away, but... We both knew the truth. It really wasn't a long way off. It would be there before we knew it. And we knew the week we would share together would be wonderful. Just being all together in that space, sharing uninterrupted time, Sabbath, rest, recreation. We would miss it, for sure. She was just missing it ahead of time. And I saw it on the faces of the students on Friday waiting in our neighborhood at the various bus stops, a mixture of excitement and um, apprehension to be sure, and that telltale look that says, where did the summer go? I sensed it in the score of uh, Facebook and Instagram photos of students, the obligatory first day of school photo that many of them look like they might have been forced to take, I'm not sure. Um, and underneath, uh, people writing a variation on this theme. I can't believe how fast they are growing up. Where did the summer go? Where have the years gone? If you were one of those students and you felt a little or a lot of sadness about summer's end, if you were a parent or a grandparent and felt the sting of tears rolling down your face as you watched your child enter the school building, count yourself blessed. It's a sure sign, says Chittister, that you were blessed by the thing that you now miss. Chittister says that life is made up of a series of choices. And gradually we build up a scaffolding, she calls it, of these choices, each of which sooner or later, one way or another, ends. 
And the measure of our happiness, she says, the measure of our wisdom as we go is whether or not when that period of life which those choices represent comes to an end, it is hard for us to leave. It is hard for us to say goodbye. We are sad in those moments because that which we are leaving or saying goodbye to is important to us, has become important to us, has become part of us in some way deep down. Often before a funeral service, uh, someone will say to me, I'm going to really try to hold it all together. I'm I'm, going to be strong. I'm not going to cry. And then inevitably they do. And they apologize for crying. And I always try to find a way to say, never apologize for your tears. They are a sign of the importance of this person to you. Of the impact that they had on your life. Your tears are a way of honoring them. And what we affirm at a funeral, we see here affirmed today in our text. Each of those moments in our lives, each of these goodbyes that we have to say, anticipate a day when our lives will be gathered up into the life of God, where there will be no more goodbyes, no more tears, no more mourning over losses. This is the vision of John in the... uh, in this often misunderstood and often troubling letter that's called the book of Revelation. Now it would be easy for me here to take a detour through the earlier parts of this book. These eerie visions of dragons and lakes of fire and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, images that feel like they were taken straight from the fertile, if troubled, mind of Stephen King. But in reality, many of those images were taken straight from the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures and the apocalyptic tradition, we call it, which tried to describe metaphorically something that is indescribable. What is it that they were trying to describe? The end. The end of days. The day when God will do for us what we are not able to do for ourselves the day God will fulfill God's intentions for the whole world, will make all things new. But today we have um, skipped the detour through all of those visions and gone straight to the end of the book. All of Revelation's seemingly bizarre imagery has been leading up to something which we see with striking clarity here in Revelation 21. And what we see is that God does not merely bring the end. God is the end. God is all in all. Our lives and the life of the world will be taken up into the life of God so completely that it can only be called new. A new heaven. A new earth. The one we worship, we will see face to face. When God is all in all, there are certain things that can be no more. And chief among them is death. 
death, the thief that takes away those we love. Death which stalks the world in violence and terror and war. Death which hides away in cancer cells, which hangs over us as a threat. Death which is always in the background of every goodbye, every ending, which is the source of crying and mourning and pain, will be no more. But true to form in this book of images, all of those things that disappear when God appears are summarized in the disappearance of one thing. John writes it at the very beginning of our text. And the sea was no more. It seems a strange thing to write, that the sea would be no more. But if you remember, back at the beginning, the very beginning is narrated by Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, the, te the text says, was void and without form, and darkness covered the face of the deep. The Hebrew words even sort of capture that, tohu wabohu, formless and void. It is chaos, it is disorder, it is formlessness, and God, as you recall in that text, pushes back the sea and the land appears. And the ancient Hebrews believed that it was only God's grace that held those chaotic waters at bay. And we see the one time in the story of the flood when God's gracious hand was lifted from those waters, allowing them to run free, and chaos and death ensues. The sea represents that chaos. It represents all that is broken in the world, all that threatens. And the sea was no more. I don't know that I fully understood the power of this image until I stared out through night vision binoculars onto the Aegean Sea. Standing atop a hill overlooking a lighthouse, temperatures well below freezing, the chopping waters rising and falling in hues of green and white. Chaos came to mind. As I scanned those waters up and down, up and down, I occasionally saw the far shoreline of Turkey, knowing that in the deep woods on the other side of that sea, there were thousands of people waiting. The smugglers actually advertised bad weather discounts so that people who were truly desperate and short on cash could try to cross the Aegean from there to Lesbos, where we were in bad weather. The smugglers also sold life jackets, which were not actually life jackets. They were fake, and they had to pay extra money for those. And people got in those flimsy boats and they made that journey to where we were. What must that water, that span, have meant or represented to those refugees on the other side except formless and void, full of chaos and threat? And how much more powerful then is that promise standing on top of a cold hill in Greece and the sea was no more. 
It's not a promise about the literal disappearance of the sea, but about the banishment of what it represents. Refugees, babies drowning in ice-cold waters of the sea, no more. Cancer, no more. War, no more. Homelessness, no more. Broken relationships, no more. And goodbyes, no more. All things new. But don't fall into this trap. It's easy to do when reading promises like these to begin to pine for that coming day, to say things to people who are suffering like, well, I know it's hard for you now, but one day, one day in the future, on the last day, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Not only is that cold comfort for someone who's experiencing suffering and the chaos of the sea right now, it's also not faithful to the call of the book of Revelation itself or our faith. We are called to live now as if that day were already here because in Christ it is already present, the newness of that day. Even if it's not fully realized, it is present with us in Christ. We catch glimpses of it when we walk in the way of Christ in the world. We participate in it when we weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and minister to those in pain. We participate in it when we give water from the well of life to those whose souls are parched. One of those nights in Greece, Harding McCall was using those uh, night vision binoculars and saw a boat, a small boat, making its way across through those waters. By the time the next day dawned, Harding and Tony Inglis were in the Aegean Sea, guiding the boat to the rocky shore where other members of the team were waiting to tend to babies, lots of them, and help people out of wet clothing and cold clothing, guide them up to the lighthouse where there was hot soup, where the babies could be changed. The refugees were filled with joy. They were taking selfies with the others of, uh, of, the others of our team who were on the shore. They had made it across those chaotic waters. And every cup of water that was given to them, every bowl of hot soup or warm tea, was a participation in that coming day. Even now, we catch glimpses of it. The sea is no more. So that feeling that you feel when you're sad to see something go, whether it's the summer or the year or a certain season of your life, may you see that feeling as a grace, a sign of the blessing that was, a foretaste of blessings yet to come. But may you also see this, a day is coming when all of those events and seasons and times, all the love that you have ever given or received, along with the world itself, will be taken up into God and all will be made new. Last June was my last time to take classes at Austin Seminary. 
as I move to the writing phase of my program now. And from the moment I arrived on campus for the two-week term, I was saying to all of my dear friends there that I was dreading the end. It was like my toe was barely in the water and I was already anticipating the conclusion and not being able to go back there again with this particular group of people. I know now where Chandler gets it, by the way. <laughs> my friends were begging me to stop talking about it. It was a whole two weeks away. I was making them depressed. But I could tell by the look in their eyes. They knew. We knew. And it did fly by. And what a blessing. What a real blessing that at the end, it was so hard for us to say goodbye. And yet those friendships, that time, it is not gone. It and all the other times when we have truly loved and been loved, all of it taken up into the life of God. So here's a call for today. Let us live each day, each moment of each day, by the light of that coming day. Let us live each day so that every place you be makes it hard for you to leave. And every person you love makes it hard for you to say goodbye. Amen.